lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. And you are you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can do by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also go to places that don't attempt to censor us at Rumble, uh, at Steve Dace Show, rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's where you can watch the clips. You can also look for me, Steve Dace, on MeWe, Parlor and Gab, at Steve Dace Show on Getter. So go please to the places that censor us because pretty soon, at some point, you won't be able to go to the places that do, all right? I uh, also um, want to let you know that I continue to get questions and emails from people that are looking for early COVID treatment. Um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today who had a nasty strain of Omicron in their own home. So, hey, if, if that's you... If you're looking for early treatment, you're looking for a doctor, check out Dr. Saeed Hader. This is all he does now. Uh, all he does is early treatment for COVID. He has treated tens of thousands of patients successfully. And so, if and, and oh, by the way, he can also help you get fulfillment for those prescriptions that work that they don't want to let you have because they're trying to kill you. All right. So you can do that at my go-to doc. Was that subtle enough, do you think? Or You made it. Yeah. Okay. My... I mean, I, I'm, I'm working on that. You know, I'm work. I mean, I've been working on subtlety since about 1975. But you know, now, you know what they say: slow and steady wins the race, right? So, was was there some incremental success there? Was it better than Hillary? Well, based we're grading on a curve here, and in terms of your capacity to do what you just did, I mean, that was a hurt. So it's all relative. Yes, 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 indeed. So I mean, subtlety is a foreign dialect to me, and you know, as the ugly American, I don't do foreign dialects. So they are trying to kill you, or at the very least, very least, they're willing to let you die in order to promote their narrative. So when you get an actual doctor who will treat you, please take advantage of it. My go-to doc dot com is where you need to go. <clears throat> Pardon me. That is my go-to doc. All one word, mygotodoc.com. All right, coming up on the show today, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to get a little white and nerdy when it comes to data out of the state of New York. Because there may be a canary in the coal mine there. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna try to do this as dumb as I can. Otherwise, we're going to get way into the weeds. So, I, I mean, I, I know you've been trying to get me to look at this guy's thread on Twitter for like three days. I just don't have the time to work three days ahead. I did have the time to look at it in depth yesterday. Okay. And not only have I, though, but Ian Miller and Tyler Carditis have been trying yes. to get you to look at this, yeah, and, too. And so. and so here's the thing, though. We could really just totally nerd out on this, and like no one would get it. So <clears throat> I'm going to try to play really dumb on this so that because... Like ethical skeptic is one of these guys. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I can't follow him. I mean, he speaks in code riddles. I don't understand it, you know. And because again, I don't do subtlety, right? Which is why he'll last on Twitter longer than me, probably. <laughs> okay, but he speaks in riddles, and I don't understand it. Which is why I just gave up <laughs> following him. That's so true. And and I just wait for Tyler Carditis or somebody to email, to to send me a text. Hey, you got to see this from Ethical Skeptic, and then I'll go down and look at the first three reply. In the replies, he'll actually explain himself a little bit more, and and I'll get it. But on a daily basis, dude, just made my head hurt. Okay. 
I love so, this side of you. Two years ago, you were the guy who didn't believe in the no uh, uh, no win scenario. Now you're like, yeah, I'm I'm tapping out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is his his reach is beyond my grasp. I just figured that out. Okay. And so I I don't want our guest at the bottom of the hour and me to speak in a language that makes everybody else feel the way I feel trying to read Ethical Skeptic on Twitter, right? Right. So I'm going to try to dumb this down as much as possible because we also have a short amount of time. Uh, And this is is some real technical data. But if you boil it down, he's basically saying that the state of New York is fudging the books. That's essentially what he is saying. That they are cooking the books. No way. They're in order to promote an agenda. Which, by the way, you had Scotland, which has given us some of the best data in the world the last few months, has now announced they're going to stop providing that data. And explicitly because people like me are using it. And they don't want you to know the truth. They, they just want to be able to continue to control you, right? So we're going to see if we can get to the truth of what's going on with New York's data. That's coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Because if it's going on there... Where else is it going on, right? I mean, I just told you a minute ago, they're, they're fine killing you. I mean, if you're, if you're fine letting hundreds of thousands of people die without the treatment they need, kind of feels like lying to them or practicing statistical mathematic heresy. Seems like a bit of a small leap from, you know, capital murder. Thoughts? Nailed it. Yeah. So we'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, also, we'll continue our series looking at Scott Atlas's book and and thus the spirit of the age and how not to respond to it. I, I think we're four chapters in now to Atlas's book. And I hope you're taking copious notes from the Trump White House during COVID. This is exactly what not to do when confronted with the spirit of the age. It, so it's a useful tool in that in that sense. Do, don't do any of these things. Right? Don't turn your presidency over to Anthony Fauci or half of it and the other half over to your son-in-law who says, you know, I'm kind of agnostic about the entire issue wrecking the country and tearing us apart at the seams. I'm agnostic. Don't do that. Don't like, so just start taking a list. You ever thinking about running for office or maybe you are currently in office, right? I, I hear from legislators and members of Congress or people that are secretaries of so-and-so in states uh, across the country all the time that tune in. Okay. Take copious notes. All right, when the spirit of the age shows up, do the exact opposite of every impulse they did in the Trump White House that Scott Atlas's book is showing us here on a weekly basis. So it, it's useful for that to do the opposite of a case study in failure. Okay. Uh, and this isn't this here's the sad thing. This wasn't this this wasn't surrender theater, failure theater. Surrender theater, like what Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy will do much of next year when they're in charge of the Congress. <laughs> All right. Much of that will be failure theaters, you know, surrender theater, making surrender now before it's too late. M- much of that will be totally orchestrated to make it look like there's nothing they could do when there were ample things that they could do. They just don't and won't because they hate you. Um, in this case, it was just this bad on its own. It was just this bad on its own. So we'll continue that depressing study and we're going to finish that race. Believe me, I thought about pulling the plug last week. I just didn't tell you guys. I'm like, cause I got to, I'm going to do the same show every week. And then I got to thinking, you know what? I need to. So that this, none of this never again, this never happens again, never again. So even if it means theology Thursday is going to sound really similar for the next two more months, 
It needs to be after what the last 23 months did to us. So that never happens again. And then we'll simmer down at least a little bit with Aaron's three non-political questions. So heads up. Incoming. Oh, but before we get to all of that, here is something that Aaron has been working on, unlike that. Uh, his rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by The Cost of Business. Project Veritas is back, this time targeting the Food and Drug Administration. This is a video of FDA Executive Officer of Countermeasures Initiative Christopher Cole explaining just how business is done in getting drugs, quote-unquote, approved. So, they're giving more money. Yes, that's great. And increase the chance of uh, an approval. Well, the dirty stuff is never really publicized. I mean, yeah, obviously but there's, it's, come there's, on, more it's pre- there's more pressure. There's more pressure to prove something. There's almost a billion dollars a year going into FDA's budget from the people we um, regulate. They tone down the impact of the user fees on their operations because they know they're dependent on the drug companies and the vaccine companies and these other companies for their agency to operate. The drug companies, the food companies, the vaccine companies, they pay us hundreds of millions of dollars a year to hire and keep the reviewers to approve their products. Anthony Fauci is out there laying the groundwork for a fourth shot of mRNA. The potential future requirement for an additional boost or a fourth shot for mRNA or a third shot for J&J is being very carefully monitored in real time and recommendations, if needed, will be updated according to the data as it evolves. In completely unrelated news, a group of doctors, economists, psychologists and a wide array of academics in the United Kingdom have issued an open letter calling for an immediate investigation into the increasing death rate amongst 15 to 19 year old males. The group called HART, H-A-R-T, lays out data showing an uptick in young male deaths, which coincides with the rollout of COVID jabs. Here's what NIH Director Francis Collins has to say about myocarditis during a roundtable recently. The vaccines are safe and effective. It would have been appropriate to say, based upon uh, a study rigorously done of 30,000 people, that doesn't rule out the possibility there might be really rare uh, side effects that could in fact be significant. And I'm not sure that necessarily we conveyed that as well as we might have. In Canada's parliament, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau continues to take slings from the opposition party like this from a Jewish conservative member. Hopeful vision for public life isn't a naive dream. It could be a powerful force for change. If Canadians are to trust their government, their government needs to trust Canadians. Those are the words of the Prime Minister in 2015. These people, very often misogynistic, racist, women haters, science deniers, the fringe. Same prime minister six years later as he fans the flames of an unjustified national emergency. So, Mr. Speaker, when did the prime minister lose his way? When did it happen? Here's how Trudeau responded to the Jewish conservative member. Conservative party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians. Also, here's what Trudeau's justice minister had to say about the donations to the trucker convoy. Look, you've just compared people who may have donated to this to the, the same people who are funding maybe a terrorist. I just want to be clear here, sir. This is really important. A lot of folks says, look, I just don't like your vaccine mandates and I donated to this. Now it's illegal. Should I be worried that the bank can freeze my account? What's your answer to that? Well, it's, I think if you if you are a member uh, of you know a, a pro-Trump movement who's donating hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to this kind of thing, 
then you ought to be worried. Both American and Canadian media are in the process of harassing thousands of donors to the trucker convoy after the website GiveSendGo was hacked over the weekend, exposing information of said donors. It's so heinous, even Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar chimed in last night to share her disdain. Here's the guy who says he hacked the website. Yes, I doxed the truckers! I did it! It was me! I hacked GiveSendGo, baby! And I do it again! I do it a hundred times! I did it! I did it! Come at me! What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do to me, huh? I'm not an unknown actor! I'm literally a famous cyber terrorist! And you think that you can scare me? That very sane person is Aubrey Cottle, well-known in the computer hacking world and a former member and founder of Anonymous, who has also admitted in the past to working for Intel communities, including the FBI. Meanwhile, in Kentucky, a $100,000 check was deposited for the bail release of Quintez Brown, the Black Lives Matter activist who attempted to shoot and kill a Louisville mayoral candidate. Congressman Jim Banks tweets, Durham publicized the Clinton campaign meeting five years and two days after it happened. So Durham exposed a criminal meeting two days after the statute of limitations for most federal felonies expired. Why did he wait? And finally, another message from Dr. Fauci. Okay, the first dose is really just to loosen up the vein for the second dose so the NRA can get comfortable from the third shot. After the fourth dose, you feel protected, but aren't. And once all the population has received the fifth dose, restrictions can be relaxed as the sixth stops the spread. However, the seventh dose vigorously disagrees with the sixth, reducing protection and calling for an emergency eighth dose which is really just a placebo, tricking the ninth and 10th shots. The 11th will clot the blood just in time for the 12th to declot. And since 13's an unlucky number, we shoot straight to the 14th to be safe. The clinical phase of the 15th confirms antibodies remain stable after the 16th injection. The shots 17 through 24 will be developed in record speed, so there's really no reason to go questioning the 25th jab. Now let's talk about boosters. The first seven are just to sort of warm up the body. That's comedian Tyler Fisher, and that's what happened while we were away. That poop ain't funny, man. That ain't humor, brother. That's prophecy. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Keeps. If you are sensitive about your hair loss, I've got great news for you. Keeps has you covered. It's genius. They offer the same doctor-recommended clinically proven research-backed treatments to stop your hair loss and improve your hair growth, but they offer the generic versions to save you big money uh, on the front end. And then they offer all kinds of convenience delivered straight to your door after an appointment that is done online and you snap a few pics of your hair. So much convenience there, so much savings, and then even more savings to get you started as well. Half off your first order. Half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow. Whether you're looking for preventing hair loss, stimulating hair growth, or just taking better care of your hair. You're looking for Keeps. K-E-E-P-S. Keeps.com slash grow. Again, that's keeps.com slash grow. I'm going to say this, and it's probably more for myself than any of you. But after watching that, I think it is very important to remember Paul's words. In your anger, 
do not sin. Mobilize it for righteous action, righteous indignation, because watching that, I was um, thinking several probably unrighteous things. I'm open to the possibility that they might be righteous. They just may not be motivated by the most righteous impulse, if you know what I'm trying to say. Uh Okay, so let us... You know what? Today's the one-year anniversary of Russia's passing. And I know my buddy David Limbaugh, this would be a difficult day for him and the family. And none of us, as I've said, throughout the course of my career, whether we agreed with Rush or didn't, we've never, ever lost sight of the fact that without his greatness and the trail that he blazed, none of us would be here. Fair? Yeah. And so, in honor of Rush, because you don't survive for as long as he did, taking the slings and the arrows that he did, without practicing meekness, power under control. So let's take a deep breath, all right? And in honor of Rush, let's not lose control. Because after watching that, I really would like... To lose control. I know that you would. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, you let me lose control yesterday. I did. So that's good. I did. Um, so then where to begin? There is data out of Israel yesterday. This is a preprint study done in real time by clinicians, actual physicians, doctors who are treating doing critical care with COVID. And if it's, it's, it's on all of my social media accounts right now, Facebook, Twitter, MeWe Parlor, Gab, Getter, I've posted it in all, all of those places if you go look for it. And I would urge you, you know, whenever you see these studies, you guys don't know how to read them, and I had to learn on the fly how to read them. Again, I didn't get into this business to read medical studies. That's not what I thought I was going to ever be doing with my career here, okay? But one of the things that's helpful is you can look at the biographies of everybody that authors it. And what you're going to see is that these are people that are clinicians working at critical care clinics or hospitals in Israel, at least, I don't know if I clicked on all of them, but all the ones I clicked on, because there's quite a few authors, all of them met that threshold. What they show is the fourth jab in Israel. The Pfizer variation only offers, at best, a 30% efficacy against COVID infection, which means 70% of the time, what does it do? Not. Not provide that. The Moderna shot, Israel's Israel's data shows a fourth round of Moderna shots only provides 11% efficacy. You heard that. You thought 30 was bad. How you like them 11 apples? 11% efficacy against like, a COVID infection. This is like Bob Euchre commenting on the Cleveland Indians, for goodness sakes. Yes, but it gets, oh, it get, but it gets worse. I'm sure it does. What they also show is with this fourth round of shots. By order of magnitude, side effect issues increase. Mm. 
they also show that. By an order of magnitude. The magnitude is lower for systemic issues. Like, you know, something that would be a serious healthcare threat to you and your life. But it does still increase for those. And it increases even higher for what they call personal or you know, it's it maybe not full-fledged myocarditis, but I had an elevated heart rate that it took me a day or so to to get it to go back to normal, those sorts of things, okay? Far greater risks of side effects. And again, you can go read this preprint study for yourself. Don't take my conclusions. Don't take my word for it. But what it shows is at best a 30% efficacy for a fourth round of shots, from Pfizer. And keep in mind, Israel is Israel's government is fully in bed with Pfizer. So, I mean, that's probably the best possible spin on the data they could provide. And if I had to guess, the raw numbers are probably somewhere closer to where Moderna is at. Why? Because in terms of efficacy in a lot of studies that I've read, including one that was done last year by our Mayo Clinic, Moderna actually outperforms Pfizer. It has... It, it has higher levels of mRNA. But that also comes with a higher risk profile at the same time. And I think it's important for you to know this information. And I, I posted this first thing this morning before I even knew what else was being said out there or what was going to be in Aaron's montage. But it is a, it is a perfect contrast to several of the things in Aaron's montage. First of all, our, our friends at... Project Veritas, again, doing the Lord's work with with an, another um, sting operation where the truth comes out. They're not regulatory agencies. Or at least the FDA is not. They're subsidiaries. They just put an official approval label on that corporate product because that's their job. And so when a company like Pfizer pulls back from seeking authorization for toddlers as it did last week, you have to ask yourself, when they control the regulators and they don't think they can even pass muster with the people that they own, that they bought, how bad must the data really be? Mm-hmm. How bad and problematic must the data really be if it if you can't pass the smell test of your subordinates? If even your subordinates are going to be like, the, these are the same people that were willing to say on camera, well, we won't know how dangerous it is to your teenager until we start giving it to them. These are the these are same people, same group. Mm-hmm. They're going to go before the same group to ask them for approval for toddlers. And if they didn't think they were going to be able to slip one past a goalie that's not in net. A goalie that is not in net. It's an empty netter mm-hmm. at point-blank range. If they thought, man, we cannot sink that biscuit in the basket in an empty net at point-blank range on this data, how bad must the data really be for them to voluntarily pull back? Because they own those people. And add on to that, you have to consider how important this is to them because getting it passed with the children is the thing that allows them to not be sued by the public once the emergency declaration is taken away. Because once something is approved for all children, that is the caveat for why you cannot 
sue pharmaceutical companies. So this is that adds on to what Steve is saying. That's Th- why this I think is the, a moneymaker. That's why I think the timing of them dis- making this decision with the federal judge there being unwilling to bend and demanding more disclosure of their process and their their ingredients, I think absolutely ties into this. Which brings us to Francis Collins. You know what? I'll do it in a nice tone because that's all people care about these days is the tone, right? Yeah. Just keep it nice and smooth. These are evil bastards, guys. I just don't know how else to put it to you. These are just evil bastards. Do you think that Francis Collins just found out on a Zoom call, a multi-line, a party line Zoom call yesterday? Oh, snap, man. Myocarditis is a problem. I think they, think they just found this out. He was the head of NIH. I don't know, maybe in between ukulele lessons. He didn't have time to look at the data. But you guys think that this was news to him? Breaking, guys. This could be a real issue. I do not. No. No, you'd, you'd have to be... Uh, you'd have to be dumber than a box of rocks. And yet here we are. Why, why disclose at least some form of truth now? Why do it now? To me, all the answers to that question are bad. To try to get out ahead of what they think is coming on the back end. A guilty conscience over what's coming on the back end. Is there a, is there a benign, innocent answer? I mean, even if, even if you want to say, hey, he really is a sincere Christian and the Holy Spirit's at work in him. That doesn't give us a lot of comfort for what's coming. Right? That, that still means he had a guilty conscience for some reason. Right? Mm-hmm. What's the benign, innocent explanation for, for why now Francis Collins wants to admit this? I'll save you the time. As Joe Biden would say, there isn't one. There isn't one. You know, left a dead dog on someone's door. There isn't one. There, there isn't one. Can I go further and say the same demon that's inside that hacker is probably inside Francis Collins? Is that too far? And, I and, said it and, in a nice tone. And that's exactly what you saw with that hacker guy. I mean, that's that's what you saw. I mean, that's 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 the same clip of that human trafficker at the border last week, mm-hmm. guys. I'm just telling you, man, you're, you're watching open spiritual war is playing itself out, folks, in an earthly realm, and your culture is the battlefield here, where you live. This is, you're watching it play itself out right now. I mean, all the obvious signs are there. It's just a matter of whether we're willing to watch them or not. I saw Jordan Peterson say yesterday that Justin Trudeau is the most self-righteous politician he's ever seen. Perfect description. Because that's what ends up happening when your heart grows cold towards God 
you just melt for you. Instead of I stop the world and melt for you, I stop the world and melt for me. I just can't get enough of me. A straight white male to look a Jewish woman in the eye and call her a swastika waver? With like no self-awareness or shame or anything at all. You're, that's a sociopath, guys. He is a sociopath. But the proper diagnosis, give it to the guy who's the psychiatrist, but this is a little theology. That's drunk on your own self-righteousness behavior. That's mob outside of Lot's house kind of stuff. That's frankly just a guy who has a little bit more self-control than whatever is going on in the heart of that hacker that we were just talking about. But they're really, that's the same spirit, man. That is the same spirit. And so here's my sober analysis of everything you just watched from Aaron. We've heard so many times over the years, this is a battle for the soul of America. It wasn't. Now it is. More in a moment. Just got reacquainted with my favorite Built Bar Puff flavor, the Ruby Chocolate. It is still just as good as the first time I ever tried it. Uh, The Mint Puff is coming back. If you like chocolate mint stuff, that is phenomenal too. So whether the marshmallow varieties, if you're into more of that from a flavor texture perspective, or you just like good old fashioned like candy bar protein bars, there is no better protein bar on this planet than Built Bar. I promise you. I get emails now from people that have, some of you sent me a note just a few minutes ago. We have used your promo code DACE now 10 times. Yes. All right. Still not as many as I've used it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, but still quite a bit. All right. If you want to try the best protein bar of all time, loaded with protein and flavor, all covered in real chocolate. So many great flavors, but and varieties, but they're not loaded with sugars and proteins and carbs. And they're also, and this is key when you're dealing with the supplement, easy on the tummy, because that's not always the case. All right. So you can't do any better. Get 15% off right now when you go to built.com for built bar, B-U-I-L-T, built.com for built bar. Use the promo code DACE, my last name, D-E-A-C-E, to get 15% off again when you go to built.com. When you're ordering these at home, are you pretty much DeVito and Cuckoo's Nest? Hit me. Hit me. Is that yeah, just- Yes. I, I, I had to, I promised myself for like a month I wasn't going to order anymore because I was just running out of room. I think I told you guys I got like 20 boxes at home. Okay. And then white chocolate to cookies and cream came out. I'm like, okay. Found out the promises to yourself mean yeah, absolutely yeah, nothing. Yes. I could not keep my word to myself. Yes. Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. But not yet. Yes. Uh, St. Augustine is correct. Yes. All right. So- This is a tweet that several of you have sent me, uh, including our CEO, that found this this gentleman's account and the data that he was uncovering to be very interesting. And I spent a good deal of time looking at it yesterday, and I agree. Now, my challenge is, though, is, is to figure out how we can explain to you that this is interesting without ethical skepticing you. All right. That is, that's the Twitter account I just mentioned that even for me as a data nerd, 
I had to just stop following the guy because it made my head hurt and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't want everybody to walk away here in about 15 minutes feeling like they just poured over the ethical skeptic Twitter thread. All right. So we actually know this gentleman. We don't know who ethical skeptic is, but we do know who this gentleman is. Clayton Cobb joins us now. He's an actual person. There he is. That's a real person guys. All right. So Clayton, welcome to blaze TV radio and podcast. Congratulations for, uh, getting more of the attention of my CEO in the last week than my content has. How are you Clayton? Uh, I'm doing great, and I'm so glad that he noticed it because this is a very important topic. And Steve, if I may say, I actually came to Twitter because of Ethical Skeptic. And early on, as I started to learn about his data and how to understand it best I could, uh, I would translate. I was sort of known as the Ethical Skeptic translator because I'm not at his level. You're right? the Ethical Skeptic Whisperer. That's what you did? Yes? Yep, exactly. All right, then you and I so may need to talk off air, all right, because I, I do need an Ethical Skeptic translator, okay? So... Sure. Tell us a little bit about your background, first of all, and your Twitter feed. Okay, so my background is I'm a former marine intelligence analyst with a specialty in cryptology. And I mentioned that specifically because cryptology is known as code breaking, but it's more about pattern finding, mm -hmm. pattern matching. And that's what I was good at. Uh, after the Marine Corps, I went into uh, the defense contracting world, which is pretty normal, right, for that type of profession. And I spent the last 20 years doing um, information technology, computer system consulting for government agencies primarily. So when, you, uh, so when you do pattern finding, pardon me, I just want to touch on this because I think this is going to be key to when we get to what's going on in New York. Do you find from an intelligence standpoint that the systems may be complicated, but they're often replicated? In that if when we find a certain pa passage or process for delivering on something um, subversively, those processes tend to be repeated to some degree because they have been proven successful. And, and that's what you mean when you're pattern finding. Is that what that means or does it mean something else? No, that, that's, that's about right. Uh, and, and we're going to get into that. We're going to find that when I see a pattern or something sort of illuminates from looking at the raw data and then I'm able to show it in a chart that makes sense, you start to find that same pattern elsewhere. And what we're going to see today when we talk about it, and hopefully in a larger article that uh, we're going to put out through Blaze, is how this isn't just happening in New York City, but we're seeing it in Oregon, Massachusetts, and then all of that data rolls up to the CDC. So when the same pattern is happening everywhere and all that data rolls up to one place, and then that's what gets used to tell the country how everything is going and what the results are. And then that's what Fauci and, you know, the president use when they're talking on TV. Then that's the issue, right? We find that same pattern all the way through. And that's what I'm trying to uncover. And, and frankly, I don't know the answer. So I don't come in thinking I already know the answer. You I just, just know this is the wrong answer. Yes. I just, yeah, it just doesn't look right. That's exactly how I felt throughout most of 2020. It's what I felt after studying the Imperial College model. I don't know how to calculate what the spread or the growth of the of this outbreak is. I just know the congruency of what they are going after. That 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 doesn't add up. That that dog ain't gonna hunt. So I don't I don't know the right answer. I just know Neil Ferguson's wrong. That's all I know I I don't know the right answer. I just know IHME is wrong. That's how I felt watching looking at a lot of this throughout 2020. So you're looking at a lot of the vaxxed versus unvaxxed data and claims, correct? Correct. All right. And so we just had news out of Scotland earlier today. Scotland had been providing some of the most transparent data in the world on that. Their health department announced today they're not going to do that anymore because, frankly, people like me were using too much of their data and they don't want you to know what it is. 
All right. And so that's that's one of the things I've tried to do throughout this process. Clayton is not make any data projections on my own. I have just gone with their raw numbers and stacked it up against what they claim this means to see if there's a congruency there, to see if it adds up or not. So I've often just been fact-checking or checking the integrity of their own data claims. I have no method by which to originate data on my own, right? So so everything we've done on our show for the last couple of years has, has, not, has been an analysis of what they claim to be true. So let's put this graphic up that, that was on your Twitter feed that got several people's attention. Pretend we're all of us now within the sound of my voice. All of us haven't done anything since, you know, high school algebra. All right. From the, so, so talk to us like it's the first day of camp. Walk us through what we're looking at here. Okay. I think this will work. And I hope the chart really resonates with people. They may not get it right away looking at the screen, but this is how simple it is. If you look at the first bar, which is the before, that is the representation of, uh, I believe we have hospitalizations on that one, that were, is that one have deaths? I can't tell. That, that's screen. faxed versus unverified deaths. I should have told you that. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, because I have one for cases, hospitalizations, and I have it for multiple dates. But what this is showing is that when New York City Department of Health first put out this data, which they put it in GitHub, which is this repository that you don't need to go to. That's what I go to, right? But the way they show it, on their website is in a graph form. And that graph form gets shared widely, right? By uh, pundits, by media, by politicians. And when they do it, they show that first, uh, well, I should say a line that represents that first bar. So that first bar shows that blue, that's the vaccinated deaths. And the yellow one to the right is the unverified deaths. Now, what I mean by unverified is they present it as unvaccinated. But the problem is they, include all unverified and unknown outcomes Mm -hmm. into unvaxxed. They do not count a death as vaccinated or anything, cases or hospitalizations, until they've matched that person to a vaccine record. And that means it has no clerical errors, no mismatches between systems. Someone was not incapacitated when they're at the hospital and, you know, someone wasn't able to answer the case investigator that they're vaccinated or not. You know, there's all these reasons that would cause that not to get matched. But they just assume everything that's not matched is unvaccinated. I call it unverified because I don't think that's fair to call it unvaccinated. But if you look at the chart, you have blue and yellow before. But then a couple of weeks later, because I watched the data very closely, it switched. Do you see how now there's not only more deaths, which is normal, right? Because it takes a while for the report to sure. deaths to come in. Yeah. But look how much the blue moved into the yellow. Now it's bigger than yellow, whereas before it was only about a third of the total. Now it's 53% of the total. But no one said anything. Like, this is for Meaning they didn't update later. their narrative. They, they didn't update right. the narrative with updated data. They went with the they updated the data, but went with the same narrative that they had before. That's what you're saying. Well, it, it, yeah, because what happens, Steve, is though I noticed that data updated in the past, mm-hmm. they have new weeks that are now looking like the first week, mm-hmm. right? It's a continuous, it's like taking this big tidal wave and pushing it to the right as the time goes on. Because every time the new week comes out, it hasn't, they haven't yet matched all the vaccination records, but they show that data. And in New York City, uh, to their credit, they put a gray bar on the last two weeks. But I've shown in my data analysis that it goes back seven to eight weeks. 
before you get high resolution on the vaccination record matching, especially during a big wave because there's so many records to match. So in this case, I was able to show, and frankly, right now I'm waiting. I keep refreshing the New York City uh, GitHub because they updated on Thursday. And there's one, the one file that has this data is the last file that hasn't updated. And as soon as it does, I'm gonna show how the the differences in January 8th go from, you know, like this to, to flipping to where probably vaccinated deaths are higher. I don't know for sure, but I do know that whatever data is in there from a couple weeks ago is not right, and it will get updated this week. And that just keeps happening. But nobody knows. The people that share the charts online uncritically, they don't know. They never go back to say, oh, whoops, that was wrong. It's flipped. They don't know. I don't think they really want to know. And the narrative that is pushed down to us is that, hey, look at the, yes. the differences between vaxxed and unvaxxed. They're gigantic. When in reality, there could be very solid efficacy. Maybe there's a 2 to 4x difference between an unvaxxed 80-year-old and a vaccinated 80-year-old. Maybe, but that's really good, right? Don't we want to know that? But if that it's not 97x, which that, is what- But that wouldn't, justi- that, that wouldn't justify ham, uh, you know, hammer meets nail policies, though, Clayton, all right? That's that wouldn't right. justify that. This is not new. So when I looked at your data, what it reminded me of is last fall, early fall with the original advent of, of Delta. And so August 6th, Rochelle Walensky goes on Wolf Blitzer on CNN it admits that the vaccines won't stop the spread with the new variant of Delta any longer. All right. She admitted that on August 6th. So starting in September, with about a month of a lag there, I started looking at the vaccine vaccine versus unvaxxed data state by state. And not a lot of states provided this, by the way. And then, and then most of them that did, how they would provide it is it would be, uh, it would be cumulative, all right? It would be up until this point. Well, well of course, that, 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 that's cooking the books. That's gaming the system because that's pre-Delta variant. Delta completely reboots the paradigm of, of, of data analysis. If it doesn't slow the spread, then even if it still has some level of efficacy against a severe infection, if it doesn't slow the spread, those numbers, you make it up in volume. You still may have good efficacy numbers person to person when it com- or in total against severe infections, but you'll end up with more severe infections because you're not slowing the spread. So you, you, you lose it on sheer volume. And so I started breaking it out. I started going back, okay, then what was it a month ago? And then doing the math of, okay, then this is what it accurately is right now. And I would have people from Mara Elias and at NPR and all kinds of media come out and try to report me to Twitter for reporting false information when they wanted to look at this cumulatively without any adjustment for what the new paradigm was statistically under Delta. What I see you uncovering is that this, this is continuing well on into Omicron. It's just even more blatant. That's what I saw the pattern when I looked at your data. You're right. And I have so many charts and so many things I could show you. But one that I'm showing is exactly what you're saying. Over time, and we don't have this for most states, but we do have it for New York City. We have it for Minnesota. One of my good friends, fellow analysts on uh, the team does Minnesota every week when they release their data. We're starting to see it in Oregon and California. And what we're able to see is no longer cumulative, right, but weekly. So mm-hmm. what was the out- what were the outcomes this week? And then each week we update that data and then we're able to build our own chart because they don't really show it. Like they'll give the uh, the raw data, but they won't always show it. They won't chart. present it in any way that's presentable or stratify it for you or anything. You have to do that all yourself. Yes. It seems that way. And I don't know why. I mean, look, I, I tried, I, uh, to my own detriment, try to give benefit of the doubt as far as you could possibly go. I even mentioned an article like it's, I, I want to assume positive intent. I don't want to believe that anything is nefarious. And maybe there's some um, bias that leads it a little bit one way. But in the end, 
I don't really care. It doesn't excuse showing the data in a way that makes us go search and find and then try to convince the world, hey, look at this. Like, we shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Just like the Scotland data. Why are they going to stop doing it? Even if it gets used in a way they don't want. It is the truth. That's mm-hmm. that's all we can do. Uh, today, I just updated the UK data. You know, some, you know, Scotland's in the UK, but the overall UK hospitalization data. And it's pretty clear, right? I mean, over 80% of the hospitalizations are someone with a vaccination dose, one dose, two dose, three dose. But that's okay, right? Maybe 80 to 90% of the people are vaccinated. That could still show efficacy of some degree. But don't try to tell us it's a 97X, right, in the other direction. And and that's really all it comes down to. So um, we're now able to show New York City over time, and it's up over 50% for everything. Cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are all over 50% vaccinated. But they're closer to 70% of the population vaccinated. So what does that tell us? There's a two to three X, you know, when you do the math, efficacy. And if that's true, let's just say that. Let's just be honest. Let's not force people to take the vaccine if they don't want to, especially if they have prior infection, which shows very strong, robust natural immunity in many studies. And don't gaslight us with numbers that are not believable because those spread around the world twice, right, before they get corrected, if they ever get corrected. And that's really my main mission. I want to have the CDC and all these public health agencies to give us the real data, present it fairly, and don't try to push it towards a policy outcome. Amen. How can people follow your work as you continue to track this, Clayton? Okay, so I am hold to LLC. That's all, of course, one word, hold to LLC on Twitter. And I recently created a Substack so that I can start doing longer form articles because tweets are sometimes hard to follow, right? And uh, that's it for now. Plus, Blaze Media, you guys are going to be publishing a large article, maybe a two-part series because it's so long, full of all my research, all the charts, all the information, everything is cited and linked back to the source. So uh, hopefully this will make sense and it can overcome some of the ethical skeptic uh, concerns that we all have. Great job. You did a great job, man. This is great work. Really appreciate what you're doing. We'll keep following. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. And thanks for your service, man. Appreciate it. All right. So this is now since we let him go and he just wants to stick to the data. We're the ones that will now draw conclusions for why they do certain things. Why, why, Why is it not good enough? to still show there is a two to three time level of efficacy against a severe infection. Why is that not good enough? If it was about health, and if this was really about health from the very beginning, it would be good enough. But it's not about health. It's about power and control And those numbers aren't going to be good enough because then we're going to weigh the other side of it, which is the side effects. And I already have natural immunity, et cetera. And that won't get them the power and the control that they want. And so that's why the real efficacy isn't good enough. That's why they have to cook the books for power and control. Hour two is next. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. You are you. He's Todd Erzin and he's Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email us, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can, uh, you can like us uh, instead, and we would prefer places that uh, aren't actively trying to censor us. Look for us on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. 
It's at Steve Day Show on Getter, by the way. And you can go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show to get clips of the show free to watch, free of censorship too. And thanks to all of you that are podcast listeners. We appreciate you. Don't forget, uh, if you have yet to do so, leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe or follow, whichever applies wherever you podcast from. And thanks to the thousands of you that have done both of those things for us already. This portion of the show brought to you by Omega XL. There's these 360 some odd places in your body from the top of your neck down to your feet called joints. And they're very useful things. However, as we get older, especially, uh, inflammation likes to seep in there and cause that chronic pain, that lingering stiffness, soreness, and achiness that you just can't get rid of. You just can't shake. And did I mention inflammation is the cause of that chronic pain? That's why you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory that is backed by going on a third decade of clinical research in the last couple of years of my testimony, because I've been using it daily. It's called Omega XL, and this stuff really works, folks. If you want to try it right now, they will offer you buy one bottle. Get a second one for free when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or give them a call at 800-844-4888. Before we get to Theology Thursday, you guys have any comments on the conversation we just had with former Marine data analyst Clayton Cobb and the work that he has been doing looking at New York's COVID data and pointing out that their their data, which they're updating, they're updating it earnestly, Mm -hmm. but then no one goes back and corrects the narrative of the updated data, right? We just still run with the original narrative and pretend that the updated data never occurred when the updated data absolutely flies in the face of of the overall narrative which is why they don't ever update the narrative and i thought a key point that he made there too that's why when he mentioned he was a pattern finder i wanted to hone in on that because this gets to oh, i don't care what they do in blue new york i don't live there they're nuts they're crazy right you know what i'm saying yeah. if this is a this is the giant feeder system for data to cdc as good of work as bill maher has done in pushing back on covid for well over a year now he still, the other day, in his in his rant that went viral that everybody loved, he still quoted the CDC state stat about you know the ninety seven percent of deaths were were unvaccinated that that Clayton talked about. Mm-hmm. He still he still quoted that. That's not true. That's not true. So this, if they're doing it in New York, then chances are this sort of p- pattern for, I wouldn't say data manipulation as much as it's narrative manipulation, the conclusions they want you to draw. This is what I've been doing. I look at your data, what you tell me your data is, and then I look at what you tell me your narrative is in response to the data, and and two and two's got to equal four here, right? They don't add up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think he has done on a far more technical and involved level than I'm frankly capable of. Thoughts? Uh, what'd you call them before? Evil bastards? Yes. Yeah, this is so, so you don't have the cover up of like not providing the data uh, at all or or trying to make it an obvious uh, fraud, obvious manipulation. You know, look at this guy said military code breaker. You know, the, it, it, Steve, your ability to manage data exceeds. Uh, most people, well, the point is not the, ethical skeptics, yeah, well, except for that. <laughs> but this is the, the, the evil genius behind all of this. You know, you always keep 
the data out there uh it might be nebulous presented in ways that are hard to understand but you have two things going on you have the narrative that is necessary right in the here and now in their eyes yes whatever wickedness that pertails and then, but then you always have an ability later on to have, uh, have your cake and eat it too like well over here no we were lying over in the data and this just they, this just just takes time you know any number of bureaucratic nonsense that we've been lulled into accepting way before covid of just how things work to get the trains running on time correct that's what's going there is a have your cake and eat it too aspect of all this yeah we're always going to make sure that the the data is there the best we can and we're going to tell you our lies over here because we know how hard it is for most people to get access to it and we know the press Loves our lies more than the and truth And they will just there. rip and read them yes. unskeptically. Yes. And, as, and they'll take our press releases and they'll just say, say that's what we're reporting yeah. and never bother to do their own reporting on them and just report it as is. Yes. And you know how we know that? We're about to discuss it in this chapter of this book because that's exactly what happens. And we almost got to watch as Scott Atlas strokes out in this chapter. <laughs> Aaron, what about you? I would just say... I'm about to stroke out from this chapter, but go ahead. Corporately, when a people attempts some sort of utopian thing, whether it's utopia itself or some utopian outcome, I'd say it almost always results in mass confusion and the undefinition of, of things. Um, I'm not really sure if the Tower of, of Babel uh, counts as utopia, but it is a, yeah. a little bit like yeah. that. That's probably that our end? first utopian attempt. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about in, uh, replay review in football? We thought we can make the game perfect now. It can be perfectly officiated. We don't know what a catch is. We don't know what defensive holding is. We don't know this long list, litany of things now because of this. You were promised a utopian vaccine that's 97, that, that, that to a factor of 97 reduces your chances of going to the hospital. That's a utopian claim. Now we don't know what a vaccine is. I think this data excellent, excellent is, is is part and parcel of this. That's mm-hmm. that's phenomenally well said. I mean, that's I, yes. So I'm just going to move on because I can't say mm-hmm. any better than that. So let's get to theology Thursday as we continue our book study of Scott Atlas's uh, book, "A Plague Upon Our House: My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID." from destroying America. And we are on chapter five this week. Uh, and we get into the politics of testing, the beginning st- really, or, or the, it had already begun, but the quantification now of the case demic, which it goes right to the point that Aaron just made. All right. And that the more data that we were given, the less answers then that we had, what is it we were going for here? Right. We 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 all agreed, even if we didn't think it was the right policy, we could empathetically say or see why maybe it'd take a couple of weeks here and just make sure we don't destroy our healthcare system and see what we're up against. Right. Okay. Well, then it became, well, now we've got to slow the spread. We're slowing the spread in the midst of an economic recession that is largely caused because we took everything that wasn't considered covid and told the healthcare industry they couldn't do it. Right. So um, now we've got hospitals laying people off, shutting down staff. Remember all the field hospitals that were built in the early stages of COVID that on, in baseball stadiums. Remember these stories uh-huh. that 
would that the Army Corps of Engineers would go out and build these field hospitals, expecting the bodies to arrive, and would often see no patients before they got shut down, or they just would maybe see a scant few. Okay, so then the narrative, so, so, then somehow the narrative became, well, we zero COVID, we can't have it at all. Well, how would we possibly stop a respiratory virus? How would we possibly stop it? Especially now that we have to admit that it is an, it's aerosolized. It's, air, it's, it's airborne. How do, we, how do we stop that? We have to breathe. And I, so notice the metrics constantly changed so that we could never really know what was a win. What, when did we know we won? When did we know we had done what you had asked us to do? Right. Canadian conservative politicians are finally getting smart by just simply asking Justin Trudeau to his face. When is this over? What's the metric? When is it? When is it? When what, what's def, what defines success? This is why it was so key for the Trump administration to not lose the, the message. And they lost it with 30 days to slow the spread. Slow it to what? What were we slowing? Do you know where we we're slowing it to? No. I mean, flatten the curve, even though we could, didn't know when the curve began. At least we we didn't know when the curve began, but we would know when a curve bottomed out on the on the back end. Uh-huh. We, so that was at least a standard, right? Uh-huh. It was a fallacy. It wasn't a true one because we don't know how to. We truly don't know when we flattened a curve if we don't know when it began. But at some point, we would see a flattened curve. Our beginning may have gone may, may have been false, but we would have at some point an ending. Correct? Yeah. What's slow the spread to what? Where were we slowing the spread to? Do you know? To this day. Uh, well, ask the uh, leader of the teachers union and she says we're going to keep going until it's zero. Yeah. I mean, so there's no, this never. is just, never, yeah. never, never is the answer. Yeah. Never, never is the answer. So it's just an autocratic regime. Then. Yes. Okay. And so that's what they want. No standards. Does, just like no stand. How, when do we know we've beaten racism? Do you know? When do we know? Okay, a black president didn't do it. So when is it? When 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 do we know? This is a great point because when, when have you beaten? So so when white girl Robin D'Angelo owns her fifth home. Is that when we've beaten? I don't know. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse had a bail of about two million dollars for self defense, and the guy who walked in, the the BLM guy who walked in and shot the mayor candidate in Louisville, got a hundred thousand dollar bail. I mean, that, that would be, seem to be a sign that we've made some racial progress here. The white guy got, you know, like uh, 20 times the bail that the black guy got for uh, a, a similar charge at the time. Right. OK. Attempted murder. So when, when let's look at let's look at the, the welfare state. When do we know we've beaten poverty? When do we know? Do you know? When do we know? When this do we is, know? This is so on the nose because this is the tale of every bureaucratic nightmare that turns into an entrenched tyranny ever. We, there's a problem we must solve. We need a government program to fix it. And then that gr- government program is there forever. Yes. Because I have they right. will never actually fix the problem and they aren't intending to. They're just trying to be in power. I, I have a snotty answer for you. Yeah. Do we know? When do we know that this is over? Uh, when the Afghanistan young men are hanging onto the landing gear over Kabul, that's yes. when we know it's over. Last year, guys, 42% of U.S. children, well, the last year we have a stat, 2020. In 2020, 42% of U.S. children were born on Medicaid. 42%. We spent more money in 2020 than the government ever has, ever. 42% of kids born on Medicaid. 
doesn't seem like we're going in the right direction no. when it comes to eradicating poverty and illegitimacy and no. right so when do we know we've won this is see this what this is why one of the reasons why i say that this wasn't an outlier this was a harvest and it's a game plan that they have ran on virtually yeah. every other issue they just haven't done it through a public health department first Okay, and that is there's no standard, no way of knowing when you've won, no way of knowing whenever you get out. Results and it just don't really matter. Yeah, the, 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 that's exactly right. And don't you? And if you go, listen, you just hate black people. Then if you don't, if you don't want affirmative yeah. action forever, if you think the 1965 Voting Rights Act probably doesn't apply anymore in 2022, you're just a, you're 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 a Klansman. Oh, actually, my ancestors were Dagos and Wops that the Klan hated when they came over here at the turn of the century, but. Doesn't matter. White supremacist, right? Yes, exactly. uh, Jewish woman in the Canadian parliament. Uh, you're a swastika waver. All right. You just hate grandma. Why do you hate poor people? Well, actually, I was I was born to a 15-year-old single mom and we ate government cheese and Ron ADC and food stamps. You ever had those? Uh, yeah, well, why, do you hate, uh, why do you hate women? Why do you hate poor people? I was poor, actually. Well, why do you hate poor people? Well, you're Jewish. Why do you wave, wave a swastika, right? See what I'm saying? Oh, yes. This is the same game plan from the same spirit. Yep. It's just this is a new front now that it's opening up on the public health side. And so Todd, as as we're going to see here, the testing regime is the is the, is the thing in which in which it catches the conscience of the king. Once the testing regime is unleashed, there can now there's never there's never enough. It's never ever ever good enough. You know, and it starts off it's a, it's a little unclear now to me. I I don't know how I don't know the ratio of Burks's malevolence versus her just utterly being overwhelmed by the situation because to see- you'll know as you get further into the book okay yeah you, you won't have any benefit of the doubt for her by the time we get to the end to see scott atlas hey he he calls into question her whole paradigm on on testing and contact tracing is is just like a rip and read from aids and he's like aids has nothing to do with covid one's respiratory the other and and the testing regime that makes sense uh for aids which certainly at the time what was pretty much a death sentence it does not merit and to a finite group of people and based on a certain specific behavior within that finite group of people let alone an aerosolized airborne respiratory virus yes yes so he says that's insane and then furthermore when she says out loud in the meeting uh we have to test so we know who is sick and he says he's just looking around his room like it's it, it, no one's gonna i mean he didn't say this but i'm implying like no one's gonna fire her right now for most people who got covid under the age of 60 to 65 who were in good health had 99.9 whatever chance of living without hospital intervention so he's it's there's no it's amazing chapter after chapter there, it, there's never any nuance even from Scott Atlas in this White House saying like, you know what, I fog of war kind of stuff. He's just like, this thing is Keystone Cops from the very, very beginning. And my point I made earlier about uh, how they have your cake and eat it too and we're going to see this in here. You know, he's he thinks he finally had his victory. All five major doctors, the, the military guy whose name I can't remember, Burks, Fauci, and Redfield, mm-hmm. are, we need to change this testing regime. 
Uh, we Anybody still can get tested, but it's going to go through a doctor. So we're not creating this paranoia in the lines of people just going, you know, you're going to go through a, doc, a doctor. And if you need a test, they'll give it to you. Uh, but, but we're going to target this thing, just like this show did from the very beginning regarding all kinds of things. S- settle down. Protect those we know who we need protected. But everybody else... Keep calm. Don't go nuts. Well, he thought that victory finally happened and the fog of war kind of subsided. And lo and behold, he finds out like a week later that because of all of the pressure uh, from uh, CNN and once it came out that this happened, they instantly said, oh, tr- you know, Trump is not listening to the doctors. Uh, he He's uh, going to make this dangerous for all of us. Redfield just went back. And who knows, at least at this chapter, we don't know why it happened because Redfield just says, yeah, me and Burks just kind of looked at stuff when we decided to just rearrange the wording and kind of kind of semi sort of go back to what it was. And that was it. And he's just like, what does anything matter? Is there any accountability? Again, this is all happening where he's where Donald Trump is the president of the United States, but and is he's frustrated by this mm-hmm. but he never does anything about it in this entire book so far other than sky hiring atlas and not letting anything be done about that am i this will continue on through the book and it's why i said last hour we're going to do this a variation of this same theme until we get to the end of the book which is in about two months and you can't rise above your own worldview you can't do it you, you, you aren't going to art of the deal, the devil. You will not out-scheme him. You won't outlast him. You won't outwit him. And I, I just think, as I said last week, and I'll probably say it again next week, and the week after, and the week after that, the worldview elevator stops at art, to the, art of the deal. It doesn't really have another one man standing athwart history because I know that I'm right. It doesn't, it doesn't have that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that, that's not in the worldview vocabulary. Now, to sometimes that works in our favor because he's very malleable, right? Because he, doesn't, because he does lack some of those true convictions beyond craven desire. You can get, we have gotten Donald Trump to say and do things to advance our narrative and message. We've been begging Republicans to do most of you and I's lives and all of Aaron's life, right? So, that, so it's, we don't want to, that's not, let's be honest too, on our end, it's not like this aspect of his worldview has not worked to our favor, right? It has, oh. but, but when the, but when, when history shows up, not day-to-day politics, not Twitter, not the narrative, not the political narrative or today's talking points. When something, when, when history arises, it takes more than a, than a tweet or a talking point memo to face that level of specter down and this is just, frankly, beyond his, his, his spiritual and moral capabilities. I remember you used to say at the beginning you were worried about Trump's bull-in-the-China-shop persona, but then afterwards you wished it, you saw more of that yes, in certain yes. situations? Well, yeah. this is like the, the, the tweet about uh, transgenders in the military that goes nowhere. This is that... This is where he tweeted, we got to get, we got to get, stop this in the military. So we're just not going to obey the commander in chief. That's what you're talking about. And it's amazing because Donald Trump, I know for a I'm 49 years old. I know this about myself. I may be, if I was the president of the United States, there are other ways where reality may overrun me. You know, there's many ways you don't know until you're the situation. What would happen to you? I am certain. I am absolutely certain though, that if I was in that seat and I was as frustrated as I was and people 
were not helping me get out of that frustration, not only helping me, but going against me, I'm certain I would be firing people. I, to, to constantly, it's, it's, it's not as if he was tricked. It, it, he, he wanted something different. He had the power to do something different. He just wouldn't do it. No, I don't will. understand. Because you have a different level of, con of conviction that drives you at your core than he does. That's why. That's why. We, dude, we did this. We, even out we, of we, we, selfishness. We, we, we thought the same thing. Why does he let, he goes out and gives the best foreign policy speech I think any president has since 9-11. Yeah. And then we watched his Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, just undermine it for months and months and yeah, months yeah. and asked ourselves, why didn't this guy get fired like 10 minutes ago? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so it, it's, this is not a new pattern. No. We've, we've watched people from the beginning of his presidency that he surrounded himself with undermine him. Nobody more so than probably his own son-in-law. Yeah. Okay. So this is not a new pattern. And, and I think in the end, it just comes down to that. That's, that is also why he is very responsive to his audience. I think he gets, frankly, his, a lot of his confidence from you people, from people like you that are listening and watching right now. He get, that's why he loves the rallies, the feedback. I know I'm on the right track. I know, I know what the message is. I know what the audience wants to hear. That in the end, in the end, you know, um, the performance aspect of this is what drives him uh, and, and drives his conscience. That's when he knows he's on the right track, when he gets the responses that he's looking for. He couldn't get those responses from his, from his staff. So they'd throw a Hail Mary pass. They bring Scott Atlas in. And then, but then, which I get, but then he did nothing really to ultimately elevate Atlas or to beyond just, just putting him in front of the media a few times ain't going to do it. You got to show the people that are making policy in that White House, hey, this bloke, he, this guy, he speaks for me, man. When, when Scott Atlas's mouth opens, the President of the United States' words are coming out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's the Joint Chiefs of Staff when it comes to COVID in here, right? So he just never did that. He just, because that would require going against the son-in-law and all these other people and Mike Pence and everybody else. Because in the end, you can't rise above your own worldview. He's not driven by the kind of core conviction that you are. But he's a, driven by a lot of appetites that in his past, he would, he would always seemingly sure. err on just blasting by him and then fixing it later. Yeah. And here, I'm just like... He's even also approaching the, 80 years old. I know. The presidency Maybe just absolutely it. beats you down, you age in dog years. So he was, what, 75 or whatever going into that job or pretty damn close. Then you are then you aged in dog years. You sat there. And I, by the way, I'm not giving excuses. I'm just giving a diagnosis. You faced a coup attempt, literally unprecedented levels of coup attempt of your presidency from the minute you took that oath every single day. Yes. Every single day. All right. And you've got to size up every single day who in my own administration is even even on my side. Every single Alyssa Farah, Alyssa Farah, who invited me to come and speak to her and a group of activists and congressional aides for Heritage Foundation at a posh Maryland resort. Uh, this is uh, um, uh, uh, the Joseph Farah from World Net Daily, his daughter, Alyssa Farah is now basically the, the, the new Adam Kinsinger on CNN. And she was like the White House communications director and worked for Mike Pence and everything, most of his presidency or somewhere in that in that office. Right now, she's basically on there, you know, calling him a Russian stooge. He I, I think by the time we got to COVID, I think he was a defeated, largely defeated man. And you're also not dealing with the 55, 45 year old man, dude. 
you're dealing with a 75 year old guy and he's surrounded it dude now we've got the, the first lady's former former chief of staff is out there doing whistleblower books and tell all books I, I think in the end without that core conviction dude just got beat down that's what i think well which is why i'm worried about running it back and doing well, it all yeah, over that's again that's what i was just gonna say but it, but i think there's just no way to stop it i i just don't barring health i don't believe it's stoppable um and so it you know it is what it is and i've as i get older i'm learning to accept the things that i cannot change I have no idea why there's a yearning in the American public to go back to another election with the same two individuals who made all the same decisions that we all agree were terrible and hated, but we're going to. So just prepare yourself for it. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would say, I, I, as you're talking about the, the Trump dynamic there, I just happened to watch a, a video last night of, I can't remember his name, some some guy who, um, some executive who used to had his company bought by Apple and a part of the agreement with this company, I think it was when they were introducing uh, advertisements, part of the agreement with this company is that the guy who owned this company would come and sit on the executive board with Steve Jobs and the, and the rest of the crew. And he described what it was like interviewing and working for Steve Jobs. And uh, Jobs has a reputation of being, let's just say, very demanding. The way this guy described it would be, for most people, absolutely terrifying working for Steve Jobs, um, he would learn something personal about you in your interview. And if you got hired or you came on board, he would tuck that away for some time when you mess up. And he'd say, hey, Joe, your 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 father moved you from Columbia uh, to America to give you this life. You think he'd be proud of this performance right here? That type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that there's much of a difference between Steve Jobs and Donald Trump, except for one thing. Donald Trump wants to be liked. Steve Jobs doesn't give a rip. That's the thing about Trump that has always surprised yeah. me. I mean, I could, I just tell you from firsthand experience. I know this firsthand. I can't tell you how. You just have to trust me. I know from firsthand experience he has greatly chased after the approval of Maggie Haberman. I don't even remember what paper she's at. Is it the Post, the New York Times? Because they're all kind of the yeah. same to me. Yeah. But I, I know he has for years chased after her approval. Like even as even going into the presidency, he wanted it. Um, I do think that that is a big part of it now, but Even again, more, that also works to our favor because he wants our approval too. That's exactly, but it also works to our detriment because he wants his own direct employees uh, approval. Sometimes I think uh, a little too much now, now going back to the, the chapter here, I mean, this is just the pride, the, the, the abject pride. There's pride in the general sense. I believe pride in the general sense of we 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 sin always whatever whatever sin we do we do it out of a sense of of a pride in ourselves we think we are much bigger than we actually are and then there's the acute pride uh and that is what certain members on the well most of the members it sounds like on the white house coronavirus task force had especially deborah burks amen the more that i'm reading about this woman i i would now, I, I don't know how to see inside of her heart. I probably don't want to. You probably don't want to see inside of my heart. But from the outside, from the outside, looking at the fruit and looking at her actions and words, from the outside, it would not surprise me one iota that every syllable that came out of that woman's mouth, whether in private or in front of a camera, 
did uh, was emanating not out of a place of science, not out of a place of empathy, not out of a place of trying to save people's lives, not out of a place of trying to end the pandemic, not out of a place of anything other than what makes me feel happy, what makes me feel um, pretty, uh, what makes me um, what makes me feel bedazzled on the inside. That's the idea that I'm getting from this woman. That she was not motivated, and and to lesser, you know, to varying extents, you could say that for Fauci or Redfield, but especially this woman, she did not seem to be motivated um, by anything other than the most superficial. Uh, no, Scott Atlas is not going to come in here on my task force and change the testing apparatus. That's what it struck me as. You can you can understand Anthony Fauci's in a very perverse way. You can understand his double-mindedness and his forked tongue because Lord knows he was trying to protect some state secrets. With Burks, it just seems so superficial. And that's the devastating effects of of acute pride that that can be that can be foisted upon an individual or invited into an individual's life. It's that level of just disconnect with reality. Well said. You're on fire today, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We'll come back. Three non-political questions are next. Parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children, but this right is under attack. Now, it has, that's not new. It's been under attack for a long time. I think we're just now, more and more of us, admitting it and seeing it. All right. Uh, and that is why you want to join our friends over at Alliance Defending Freedom. I have known the uh, head honcho over there, Mike Ferris, for many, many years. Uh, and I mean, parental rights is one of the original fights he ever got involved in and has been involved in for decades. So if you want to help uh, Alliance Defending Freedom defend your parental rights, they need your help to do that because they represent all of their clients pro bono. That means they get by on tax deductible donations from folks like us. And if you would like to make one of those, I have. Wouldn't ask you guys to give to a cause I've not donated to. ADFlegal.org slash Steve. That's ADFlegal.org slash Steve. They take these challenges all the way to the Supreme Court if they have to at ADFlegal.org slash Steve. All right. It is time now for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, we need a little break from the demise and fall of Western civilization and talk about Debbie Bedazzle Your Face Shield Burks. Three non-political questions. Question number one, I don't know if you've been on social media today, but if you follow any sort of sports account, um, they're unveiling the uniforms for all, I think, eight USFL teams. I'm not sure how many there are. I've not seen these yet. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they're unveiling those uniforms today. So this question, uh, and that, that league starts in April. You were just talking about that. April through June, I believe. If you were able to create your own USFL team, an expansion team, where would you locate them? What would the name and mascot be? 
And who would you hire as your coach or GM? Wow. Um, I'd put it here. There are two major Division I programs. To me, I would not look for um, major markets. I would look at markets like Des Moines, Iowa, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama is the number one television market in America for college football per capita. Okay. I, I would look at top 100 television markets that have the infrastructure to, to support a team. And then I would, then I would grow from a base. I'd, I'd run it like a political campaign. I'd move it to a place. I'd, I'd, I'd grow a base first. And then later I would try to go to more major markets um, at that point in time. Okay. But I would go to places here in Iowa. For example, we have two major conference college football teams in Iowa and Iowa state. Um, and, Iowa State, I think, is the third largest on-campus stadium in the Big 12. Iowa has, what, 65,000 65 to 75,000 yep. at their stadium every every fall Saturday as well. And I, I think that there is clearly a uh, – I'd look at places like this where there is an ingrained massive amount of support. You know where I might look is, frankly, Omaha, Nebraska, same That's exact what I was thing. Say. Okay. Yeah. I'd be looking at places like that where the love of football is well known. There's still major top 100 television markets, but there's enough money and community there to support the team on a grassroots level. Because once that is built, I would then try to get uh, bigger TV markets from there. Um, I would I would probably look to call it something that aligns with the heritage of the uh, of that respective state, uh, if I could, uh, and, and but but does so. The Des Moines monks, because the Des Moines River is supposed to be the monks. That's the name. That's the, Des Moines means the monks. The monks in in French. Yeah, it, it, yeah. is that a good name? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> I think the audience would prefer for me to tell them about Patriot Mobile right now. They are America's. <laughs> that was so bad, they'd rather hear a commercial. They are America's only pro-America mobile phone company. Plus, it'll give you more time to think of your answer. All right. Uh, they are America's only pro, uh, or the, yeah, pro-America yeah, pro mobile phone company. Uh, the same service, same network that you get from, and coverage you get from all the big guys. I know I can attest to this. We made the switch in October after 20 years with T-Mobile and pretty much have the same exact coverage we've always had. We just now are giving our money to people that don't hate us. We even upgraded our phones along the way. They will come up with a plan customizable for your family. If you're a veteran or first responder, they'll offer you even bigger discounts. It's a way of saying thank you for your service, so let them know. And then they've got specials going on each and every month. This month, you get a free activation with the offer code DACE. That's my last name, D-E-A-C-E. When you go to patriotmobile.com slash DACE, patriotmobile.com slash DACE, or give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. Patriot. Again, that's patriotmobile.com slash dace at 972 Patriot. Oh, for coach and GM? Yeah. I would get people that are tied into that community. So if it was a team in Omaha, I'd go get a coach and a GM that are tied in with, with Nebraska football because you get the ability to find people that are tied in with Nebraska or Iowa and to a lesser degree, Iowa State that have NFL or pro football contacts is not going to be difficult to do. But those are people that. I want to see, hey, I remember when they coached here or sure. played here, yep. and so I got a vested interest. I want them to be successful. I want instant buy-in. That's what I would be looking at. I pretty much agree with everything uh, on the location front. Uh, I would call them the Des Moines Unvaxxed. Uh, <laughs> their uniforms, I, if last night, right before I went to bed, 
I just saw like a minute of it because it was uh, after the news. They went back to the Olympics and it was the uh, USA versus Canada uh, women's hockey. But the Canadian uniforms, this red and black. Oh, wow. That's would be my color scheme. And even with everything else he's doing, I would at my GM would be Steve uh, because he's a great multitasker. He hates losing. Um he would absolutely. You want somebody it. like I just, didn't we just agree? You want somebody that unites the community, right? I don't. That's not my okay. priority. Okay. All right. Okay. Winning unites the community. You hate to lose, so. All right. Okay. I would. I would put my team in Omaha just because it's near here, so I would actually get to go to the games. And Omaha is a sneaky large city, at it least is. for this. This has uh, some great facilities there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this uh, part of the country. Um, I would call them, I think there is a severe sh- shortage. This is why I like the Seattle Kraken so much. There's a severe shortage of mythical names for, uh, for, okay. for mascots and things like that. So yeah. I would call them like the Omaha journalists or something like that. Um, because you know, that nice. I think it has a nice ring to it. Nice. And then, um, I was thinking coach, like we we're going to go Griffins or the Phoenix. Uh, no, nope, we went nope, journalists. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Uh, coach GM Bob Stoops, if he's available. I mean, he's he's been pretty much successful. He was really successful with uh, the XFL team, I think. Uh, the, the, the the Dallas Renegades or something. I know like he did. That. I don't know if they were any good or not. I think I think he was good. Uh, so I, I would hire him. Question two, which uh, movie this year are you most looking forward to seeing and why? I was actually thinking about the other day because my son and I were talking about it and probably right. I mean, for him, it's the Batman, which comes out here in a couple of weeks. Um, He's probably looking the most forward to that one. I think I might be. And the more I learn, the more I I was kind of Batman movied out, frankly, you know, Whoa! but did you just say, I know you done with Steve Dace. I know, but the more I've looked at this one, I'm, I'm the more interested in it. I'm actually getting, but uh, I'm I'm a huge Doctor Strange fan. One of my favorite, kind of he was kind of my Green Lantern of the Marvel Universe. You know the second tier character that I thought should have been cooler and people should have liked more. You know, and uh, I loved the first movie, and um, I love the idea of fully opening up a multiverse and the possibilities of that. I'm looking forward greatly to seeing what that looks like. I know you guys probably expect me to say my own movie. I am terrified. Uh, okay, I mean, I just, I'm terrified. I've, I've not wanted anything to be good more in my entire life than that movie. And so remember, when I was sent the script, I sat on it for a night, guys, because I couldn't bring myself to read it out of uh-huh. fear that I would not like it, okay? So I'm I'm actually not looking forward to watching that. I'm, I'm kind of terrified of the prospect, frankly. So that's why it's not on my list. Well, it's definitely your movie. I can't wait because I'm not in the loop on it on purpose and um, what's going on. Uh, but there are, uh, I'm this, uh, Jurassic park. That trailer's pretty bananas too, man. And I love good. how they're clo- bringing both of all the actors back the yep. nostalgia, the fan service. Uh, and I just remember seeing that. I mean, that's, that's one of the movies I remember seeing that you're just like, Oh, this is changing things. And you bet. this is amazing. And, and so, we've never seen CGI like that and, in a film before. And re- how old were Steve? We were in our, t- I mean, that was 20 plus. I was in college yeah, at the me time. Too. I mean, yep. yeah. I, remember, I remember going downtown to a theater that served the uh, Wisconsin campus. That, that, that just isn't, the theater isn't there anymore. They mm-hmm. destroyed it and built a huge condo or something like that. So it's just a, it's a slice of life kind of thing. And my brother told me last night, and I know you loved it too, but I, I know this is not a new movie, but he said, oh, Todd, you absolutely have to see King Richard. King Richard's very good. 
He yeah. said, he said, you are going, you're going to see a lot of yourself. My brother said this about I could me see that. in yeah. King Richard. Yeah. Yep. Um, it was one of the, it was in my top 10 list from last year. So yeah, I could see that. I feel like I'm missing an obvious movie that would be a Steve Dace movie that there's a lot of big ones coming mm-hmm. out. I just can't remember what yeah. they all are. Yeah. That was probably my favorite part of the Super Bowl is not necessarily the trailers themselves, although they were kind of fun, but, uh, the, the number of movies, uh, seeing, seeing Hollywood trying to get people to go back to the theaters, you know, and not that it's just good to get back to normal, but I'm, I'm hoping this means people are not living in fear as much of going out to the theaters. I think for me, it's uh, it's multiverse of of madness. Uh, bananas is the correct is the correct yeah. word for that trailer. Saw King the Conqueror in there, correct? Um, Heard Professor Xavier's voice in there, and yes, yes. Uh, so that's gonna be. I I, f- I have a feeling this is finally going to be the movie that really gives us a clue of whatever this next phase. Is going to be whether or not it's good. I don't know, but I think, I think this is finally going to give us some some answers of, of what's coming next. All right, before your final question, let's tell the audience if we could hear about our friends at Real Estate Agents I Trust. If you want to get involved in the real estate market during these unprecedented times, Bing. and it is about to get much more unprecedented because they're going to start jacking with interest rates here in a couple of weeks. They've already warned you about that. All right. So make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust, someone that will walk you through the process and can do so successfully because they also have a proven track record of success that you can trust to come in, take charge of your situation while also remembering, though, that you're really the one here in charge. Sounds too good to be true, but it's not. Not if you head to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com, just about anywhere in the country that you want to move to or from. We can probably hook you up with a real estate agent you can trust at realestateagentsitrust.com. Com. Final question. What five minute period anywhere or moments anywhere in your life, if you had to live that on repeat on loop over and over and over again for the rest of your time, what five minute period would you choose? It has to be one. It has to be concurrent. Yep. Like I couldn't split it up the birth of my three kids or something like nope. that. It has it's to be, be concurrent. concurrent. Yeah. I'm going to let you tackle this one first. I got to, I got to think. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, chocolate, vanilla, and what do you want from me right now? The one five minute, if I get this wrong, if I snap wrong, can't just do that to me. It's a it's good this, question. Is That's it why the I'm Steve Day you... show or the Towners and show? You it's, go it's, first. And and I'm a delegator. You know, we were just talking about Trump was a master delegator of authority. I'm delegating to you, okay. Mr. You're my, you're my Jared Kushner. Go ahead. You can just be totally agnostic about the question if you'd like, Mr. Kushner. Oh my goodness. When was the first time I had vinegar? Uh, no, no. Oh, gosh, I don't. I, this is going to sound. I'll, I'm stuck. I'll, this is. I'll a, go for. This is one of the best questions yeah. you've ever asked. I don't want to take it seriously. I don't have anything off the top. Frankly, it, it's it's it's. I came up with it uh, actually during this segment because I only had two questions. It's occurring to me how that the Lord has been very good to me that I'm having a hard time yes. answering this yeah. question actually. Um, this is going to, can I go first? You bet. Just go so ahead. You guys have more time. Yep. This is going to sound so, so vapid. And it's not to say like the last first, five minutes of the chiefs winning the, the Super first, Bowl. Oh, yeah, that's actually a good idea too. Yeah. But, um, this is going to sound so vapid. Okay. This is not to discount any moments that I've had with anybody the rest of my life, but it was back in, I believe 2017, the first time I rode on the Hogwarts Express at Universal, that was a magical experience. 
I wouldn't mind repeating that over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's just very simple, uncomplicated. It's a good memory. You know what? I'm going to go with the first earliest memory I can think of. That, I, that off the top of my head, I'm like, I, uh, it, to this day, I remember it so well and, 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 and wanting to repeat it. All right. Um, the first five minutes of sitting in the, in the theater at age five over Christmas, hearing that uh, John Williams score begin, it opens up with action comics and the narration in black and white. And then that John Williams score kicks in with the three dimensional zooming credits. And then the emblem blares across the screen that those that's maybe the first moment in my life I can think of that I can remember, you know, mm-hmm. in detail what that felt like and what that moment was like. And it's why I've watched that movie more than any other movie. So I, because I could choose so many things. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, what, what God's done with yep. the kid born to a 15 year old mom, yeah. mom is beyond my imagination. So maybe I'll just go with the very first thing I can think of that would fit this bill. And it's that I I'm struggling with the same thing you did. So I'm going to set aside if family and faith, because That's, I, yeah, because how do I be fair on that yeah. one? So I wasn't yeah. even going to consider I, that. When, okay. But of my whole life, I wanted to be part of professional baseball in some way and wasn't good enough uh, uh, as a player to even aspire to that. So I knew for a very long time that I was going to go to professional umpire school and I was going to do that after college. So, but the amount, I mean, I started umpiring when I was 13. So you, that's, you know, 10 years away till you even do it. Then you go down there and you, it's a five in Florida. Uh, it's a five, at least it was a five week long, uh, class that you take. And there were 75 of us at that school. And there are two other schools, uh, and, uh, uh, about that many at each other school and 10 from each school got to pick to go to, uh, get a pro job that year and the the feeling of at the end of those five weeks and the the morning of graduation and everybody's sitting in there and your names uh get called up uh and my i it was alphabetical order so i think my name was the third one picked and to and you stand up and are presented to the class and to have that a dream realized was something that has carried me all the way through it's worth dreaming and it's worth finishing the race because at at the end of the day, it actually happened to me. Well said. That's a good question. Well, thank you. Difficult, but good. All right, that'll do it for us today. We are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.